right, we're going to start with Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. I'll get to that in just a minute, but I'm going to ask you if you would to take your Bibles and go there. Philippians 3 and 13. I've titled my message this morning, Let's Start Over. How many of you know what a mulligan is? It's not a fish. Okay? A mulligan is a golfer's term. All right? I remember, I've probably not golfed but 20 or 25 times my whole life, but I learned what a mulligan was the first time I went and played golf with my dad. And he told me, he said, Now, son, if you get up here and you hit a ball and you don't like where it goes, he said, I'm going to give you one mulligan on the front nine and one mulligan on the back nine. In other words, this is what a mulligan is. It don't count. You hit it and it flies off into the woods you can take another ball out of your bag and you can put it down on the ground and it's just like you started over. That ball didn't count against you it, and it could, go, it could take place any time in those first nine holes. But you get one. So I would get up there on the very first hole. I would put my ball down and I would hit that thing off in the woods and I said, I'll take my mulligan right now. I started off with a mulligan. Or I'd get to the water hole and there was a water hole on Woodland's uh, Woodland Hills over in Nacogdoches and, and you had to hit it over the water to get to the other side. Well, it intimidated me. It wasn't any farther than any of the other shots, but I'd inevitably, it was like a magnet. It sucked my ball into that water hole and I'd say, I want my mulligan. We'd start over. Didn't count. No, no penalties, no anything. It was a mulligan. Well, that's what we want to do this morning. This is the direction I want to go this morning. Let's look at let's look at 2017. I want you to know there is nothing you can change about 2017. You hear me? Nothing you can change. It's gone. It's over. It's in the past. 2017 could have been your greatest year. Could have been your greatest year. Could have been your greatest year financially. Could have been your greatest year spiritually. Could have been your greatest year emotionally. We got a set of newlyweds sitting over here. I had the opportunity to wed them uh, last year, and and at, on the thirtieth, it was the thirtieth, right at the end of the year. They're getting tax breaks as we speak because they got married right at the end of the year. But as we look at two thousand seventeen, what we need to do is we need to take two thousand seventeen, whether it was your worst year or your greatest year, and what we need to do is we need to put that in the past. And we need to say, okay, let's start over. Because 2018, this is the very first Sunday, 2018. I am so proud that you're here. I hope you do not miss another Sunday. I hope that you are more committed to serving the Lord and being a part of the body of Christ at Soda Baptist Church than you've ever been before. 2018 is going to be the greatest year of your commitment. But that's what a mulligan was. Mulligan was an opportunity for you to start over. And we have that opportunity today. We have that opportunity today. So let's look at uh, Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 13. And Paul is talking about this. Paul mentions what things are taking place in the, hap- in the past. In Philippians 3 and 13, look what it says. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things 
which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Now I want you to look at that scripture and notice what it does not say. He says that I am, I brethren, I count not myself to apprehended. He says, I have not yet achieved what God has called for me to do. He might have had the greatest year evangelically in the year prior to writing this than he's ever had. He was a missionary going from place to place. Thousands of people are coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is what Paul says. He says, I have not yet accomplished all that God wants me to do. This is why I say, no matter where you are spiritually, if last year you taught some of your best lessons, if last year you were able to give more than you've ever given before, if last year you sang more specials than you've ever sang before, you've been more inspired, you learned more spiritually, listen, you have not yet apprehended, you have not reached the place that God has for you to reach. We are still seeking forward. Now, He's not saying that we are forgetting those things in the past just for forgetting. Because listen, (coughs) we need to look in the past and we need to learn from our past. Paul did. Paul looked in his past and he said, whoop, won't make that mistake again. But I want you to know, God tells us that we have not yet apprehended. If you think you've learned everything you need to learn from the Bible, you are mistaken. I mean, it gets richer and richer. And you know what? Sometimes you come across scriptures and it lets you know real quick, you don't know half of what you thought you knew when it comes to the scriptures. So he tells us right there, he says, listen, you have not reached everything that God wants you to reach. In other words, we need to stay in the race. Several scriptures tell to us about that. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 7 says, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? In other words, this is what Paul is telling the Galatians. He said, listen, guys, y'all started the race. You were healthy. You were strong. Man, you were killing it. Man, you were doing such a good job. What happened? What happened? Man, there was a day that you were so faithful. Every time someone turned around, they would always see your faithfulness. When they missed, they knew you were there. I'm telling you, I, there, is, there is so much. When we get to a certain age sometimes, there's not much you can do in the church anymore. You, you reach an age to a point that you can't hardly keep the nursery. Uh, you, you can't. Uh, Brother Murdoff told me the other day, he said, now, when's your birthday this month? 16th. 16th, and you'll be 90, 95. He told me the other day, he said, now, Nelson, listen, Brother Wayne. Now, I, I was going to imitate you, but I'm not. Now, 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 listen, Brother Wayne, I, I'm going to be 95 on the 16th of January, and, and if I make 16th of the January, I'll be 95, and, and I'll tell you what, I'm just, I've just passed the time that I can get up there and stand. I, my legs has given out on me. He said, they've been good to me over all these years. My legs has given out on me. And he said, I'm going to have to give up this part being the usher. I, somebody else is going to have to take my place. You know what? There comes a time when we have to give some things up. But let me tell you something that you never have to give up. You never have to give up your faithfulness. Let me tell you about, how many of you remember Billy Burkett? None of you, uh, uh, I'm a Jean Lawrence. Y'all, y'all don't know why I'm a Jean Lawrence. Uh, you don't know, what was her name? She drove into the side of the church building. Uh, I can't think of her name. Uh, Travis? Long. Long. Uh, 
Anyway, her name was Miss Long. Let me tell you, I'm a Jean Lawrence, and Miss Long were at that church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If we were washing the windows, they were at that church. I want you to know they were so faithful. They couldn't do much. But I want you to know for everybody in the church, they showed our young people, our middle-aged people, it's important to be at church. They showed that. You know what? Probably some of the wisest and some of the most knowledgeable about the scriptures were those two ladies, but yet they continued to come to church. Why would they need to come to church? I thought they knew it all. Billy Barquette would come in here and I, with a walker, with an oxygen bottle, and here she would come. I remember about the second or third Sunday that I was here, she was walking out of the church and she was on this right-hand side over here, kind of where Miss Flaudy is sitting, and she fell and she hit that column right there and split her head wide open, blood going everywhere. Brother Frank <coughs> run back there and we was trying to wipe up blood and it was all over the pew and it was everywhere. You know where Billy Burkett was that night? Sitting right out there. Anybody had an excuse not to come? Big old whop knot on her head? <coughs> I'm sorry. But let me tell you, she was faithful. She was faithful. Let 2018 be the year... <coughs> I'm going to have to have... <coughs> I'm sorry. <coughs> Let 2018 be the year that you're more faithful than any, any other time in your life. We can be faithful. But this is what it told us in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 7. He says, man, you, you started running the race. Why have you quit? Who come in here and has caused you to not do what God has called you to do? This is what I want to do this morning. <clears throat> I want us to look back. <coughs> I want us to look back at our lives and ask ourselves, Here's these two questions right here. Where does God want me to serve Him this next year? Where? Where does God want me to serve this year? Question number two is how does God want me to serve? Two questions. Where does He want me to serve? And, and I'm telling you, and listen, I'm not getting on to anybody, all right? We've got people who've come to this church for years and years and years, and they're not members, and, and for whatever reason. But if God wants you to serve here, get involved. Get plugged in. Join the church. Make a commitment. Where does God want you to be? Get in, get in there. Get your feet wet. Take responsibility. That's what it means to be a part of a body of believers. Get in there. Now, number two is, how does God want me to serve him? I was saying this to our Sunday school class this morning. Hebrews chapter 6 says something to this effect. He said, listen, guys, y'all have been going to church here for this. Now, you have to understand, I'm paraphrasing this. He says, listen, you have been saved for 25 years. Man, he says, by this time you should be teaching the Word of God. And right now I'm having to come back to you and sit down with you and teach you the elementary truths about the crucifixion, about the uh, security of the believer, about baptism. I'm having to come back and teach you the basics again. Come on, guys. It's time for us to mature. So the question is, how does God want me to serve him this year? Hadn't messed up in 2018 yet. Hey, we're just getting started. Make this the greatest year. Can you sing? 
There's room in the choir. Listen, I remember the day when I first started preaching here that I want, the choir was completely overflowing with people. People were having to stand because we didn't have enough seats. And it seemed like we had a special every single week. Somebody had a joyful noise they was willing to serve by singing special music. So this is what we're challenging. If you're a deacon, be the best you've ever been. If you're a Sunday school teacher, challenge yourself to be better. If you're not a member, join. If you're a giver, give more. If you're a greeter, be the greatest greeter that you've ever been. Has God blessed you? Do you know what the Bible tells us? If God blessed us, we're to testify of that. And listen, the preacher shouldn't have to come and say, hey, you want to give your testimony this morning? Hey, we should be willing to testify about what God... I, I, don't, I know that you've done had three, this Brother Wayne, to testify about what God's done for you this week, but I want to testify too. Praise the Lord. Make 2018 the greatest year that you've ever done. This, listen, young people. Church preachers have quit challenging young people to give their lives to Christ to be preachers and missionaries. I want you to know when you look in the scriptures, you see that God uses young people. Mary was just a young lady. David was just a young man. When he called them to commit their lives to serve, we, we, hit, we, we forget about that sometimes. Hey, maybe this year is going to be the year that you're called to surrender to preach or surrender your life to be a youth minister. Maybe this is going to be the year that God called you to be saved. God has called you to be saved, to put your faith and trust in Him. God has given you the ability to teach. If He's given you that, look for that opportunity to teach. Look for it. Don't just sit on it. Look for it. Look for that opportunity. God's called you to serve. Serve with a pure heart. I, and I'm telling you, there is no possible way for me to address every situation and every opportunity that we have here at Soda Baptist Church. Some of the unsung heroes are those ladies, and it don't just have to be ladies, it could be men, but some of our ladies that go back during this preaching hour and teach our, young, our, our kids. We have a children's church. I'm glad that we have a children's church. I know if you some churches, that's a big debate, whether they should stay in here or go out there. Uh, but we have a children's church. Unsung heroes are those ladies that go back there and teach our young people, sacrificing their time to be in here with us. Those Wednesday night group that goes and they cook for our kids and, and provide. Some of those Wednesday night teachers that are in the back, back in the back, teaching those Sometimes 30, 40 kids that come in. Some of our youth workers, they commit time and, and effort during the week and, and during the summer. They go to camp with our kids. I, I, our musicians, my goodness, it's something every single week that they have to uh, uh, approach and look at and study for and get ready for. Uh, there's just so many things that take place. We can't take time and mention them all. But I want you to know, what does, if God has called you to serve, serve with a pure heart. Serve as if you're serving Him and not other people. Serve like you want to serve Him. The greatest gift that God has given us all is the ability to love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you're looking for a gift, greatest gift that God gives is your ability to love. It could be that your only gift is to love. You come in here on Sunday morning and you just work the pews. Shaking hands, hugging, kissing, loving, showing affection, being concerned. I know that we go from week to week... It's a, great, it's a great opportunity for someone to come in here and go, okay, now who's missing this week? 
I'm going to write their name. Well, I don't sew it. That's, she sits right there. She's not there. I'm going to take her name and I'm going to give her a call this week. I'm going to send her a card. And I want you to know there's a lot of that that goes on and maybe that's all you can do. But love and love like you've never loved before. As we look now, I want to, I want to read this, this poem. I've read it many years ago. And talking about how Paul says, Who has come in and hindered you on your race? Who has come in here and nudged you off of the track? Why are you sitting over here on the sideline? God saved you. And listen, God's only given us a limited time on this earth to reach someone else for Christ. I appreciate Elmer. Where's Elmer? What was that guy's name that led you to the Lord? Joe. Joe. Hey, I praise God for Joe. You wouldn't be in this service today getting baptized if it weren't for Joe. Amen. We need a lot of Joes. We, know, we got a lot of Joes here if we were just willing to go out there and do it. So let me ask you. What, listen to this, this poem and, and listen to the gravity of it in running this race. This is what God wants us to do. <clears throat> Whenever I start to hang my head in front of a failure's face, my downward fall is broken by the memory of a race. A children's race. Young boys, young men, how I remember well. Excitement, sure, but also fear. It wasn't hard to tell. They all lined up so full of hope, each thought to win that race. Or tie for first, or if not that, at least take second place. Their parents watched from off the side, each cheering for their son. And each boy hoped to show his folks that he would be the one. The whistle blew and off they flew like chariots of fire. To win, to be the hero there, was each young boy's desire. One boy in particular, whose dad was in the crowd, was running in the lead and thought, my dad will be so proud. But as he speeded down the field and crossed a shallow dip, the little boy who thought he'd win lost his step and slipped. Trying hard to catch himself, his arms flew every place, and midst the laughter of the crowd, he fell flat on his face. As he fell, his hopes fell too. He couldn't win it now. Humiliated, he just wished to disappear somehow. But as he fell, his dad stood up and showed his anxious face, which to the boy so clearly said, Get up and win that race. He quickly rose, no damage done, behind a bit, that's all, and ran with all his mind and might to make up for his fall. So anxious to restore himself, to catch up and to win, his mind went faster than his legs. He slipped and fell again. He wished that he had quit before with only one disgrace. I'm hopeless as a runner now. I shouldn't try to race. But through the laughing crowd, he searched and found his father's face with a steady look that said again, get up and win that race. So he jumped up to try again, ten yards behind the last. If I'm to gain those yards, he thought, I've got to run real fast. Exceeding everything he had, he regained eight, then ten. But trying hard to catch the lead, he slipped and fell again. Defeat, he laid there silently, 
A tear dropped from his eyes. There's no sense running anymore. Three strides, I'm out. Why try? I've lost, so what's the use, he thought. I'll live with my disgrace. But then he thought about his dad, who soon he'd have to face. Get up, an echo sounded low. You haven't lost at all. For all you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. Get up, the echo urged him. Get up and take your place. You were not meant for failure here. Get up and win that race. So he rose to run once more, refusing to forfeit. And he resolved that win or lose, at least he wouldn't quit. So far behind the others now, the most he'd ever been, still he gave it all he had and ran like he could win. Three times he had fallen, stumbling. Three times he rose again, too far behind to hope to win. He still ran to the end. They cheered another boy who crossed the line and won first place. Head high and proud and happy. No falling, no disgrace. But when the fallen youngster crossed the line in last place, the crowd gave him a greater cheer for finishing the race. And even though he came in last with head bowed low, unproud, you would have thought he'd won the race by listening to the crowd. And to his dad, he sadly said, I didn't do so well. To me, you won, his father said. You rose each time you fell. And now when things seem dark and bleak and difficult to face, the memory of that little boy helps me in my own race. For all of life is like that race with ups and downs and all. And all you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. And when depression and despair shout loudly in my face, another voice within me says, Get up and win that race. Wow. Amen. Amen. So, as we look at 2017, I'll promise you we have failures. Anybody besides me? I've stumbled. I've fallen. But what God wants from us all, He knows we're human. What He wants from us all is He wants us to get up and He wants us to run that race. I want to give you two examples in the Scripture. And I'm going to go through them hurriedly. But two examples in the Scripture that tell us what to expect. If you're going to run and you're going to run committing your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to know there are going to be hindrances that's going to do their best to stop you. Don't quit. If you fall, get up and run. Make 2018. If you fall more in 2018, make it the most successful year that you've ever had by getting up every time we fall. Getting up every time we're discouraged. Getting up every time someone complains. Getting up every time someone disappoints you. Get up. Get up. Get up and run the race. He deserves our commitment. He gave his life on the cross for us. Nehemiah chapter 1. I've done a whole series on the book of Nehemiah. Not the book. Well, probably the book. But the fact that Nehemiah came and he rebuilt the wall in Jerusalem. 
First, I want you to know that God gave him a burden. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of uh, Hakali, And it came to pass in the month of Chesarel, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, boy, what a bunch of names, one of my brethren came, and he was, he was certain men of Judah, and I asked him concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, now let me, let me just give you what's going on here. The Israelites have been taken 70 years prior to this. They've been taken from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon. They've been slaves or captives in, Jer- in Babylon for over 70 years. And that's how long they were captive and then they were set free. But not many of them went home yet. Not many of them went home. One of the reasons they didn't go home is because the city of Jerusalem had been destroyed. The temple's been destroyed. The walls around the city have been torn down. There's no security. There's no protection there. And here Nehemiah is, and he is still over around Babylon, and one of his buddies, or someone from Judah or Jerusalem, came by, and Nehemiah says, Hey, guy, what's going on in Jerusalem? He said, Man, it's not good. You ought to see it. These last two verses, verse 3 and 4, And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates there are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and I wept, and I mourned certain days, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You know what we need today? You know what will inspire you more today to serve the Lord more? Get a burden. Get a burden for the lost. Get a burden for some group or some family. Get a burden... For an individual, get a burden in your heart. Get a burden to the point that you fall on your face before God and say, God, what can I do? That's what Nehemiah done. He hated that his fellow Israelites were being deprived and they were unprotected and, and they were like sheep without a shepherd over there. And he prayed and he says, God, what can I do? Get a burden for the loss this year. Get a burden. Get a burden to serve so that you might be able to teach and, and, and sing and get a burden. Well, Nehemiah prayed for this. And I want you to know God, God granted not only his burden and desire. Nehemiah 1 and 11 says, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire the fear of thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day grant him mercy in the sight of this man for I am the king's cupbearer. This is what Nehemiah prayed. He said, listen, God, I'm fixing to go to the king. And I'm fixing to ask a request from him. God, I'm praying that you will make my request to him something that he will give into." He says, I'm fixing to go and ask him if I can leave here and go back to Jerusalem and help build, rebuild that wall. God, just give him some understanding. And when you later you're going to see in chapter 2, he's going to say, he goes before the king. The king asks him, he said, Nehemiah, why are you so sad? I've never seen you sad before at all. He says, well, why shouldn't I be sad? My people are in great despair. And the king basically, I'm paraphrasing, what can I do for you? He said, well, king, I need to go over there. I'm asking permission to have some time off so I can go rebuild that wall for them and, and get them back on their feet. He said, well, how long are you going to be gone? And he says, I gave him that answer. And then he said, well, king, can you do this for me? Can you help me get over there? Can you help me provide provisions? Can you send letters that as I travel over there that I might get supplies along the way? 
And the king said, sure I will. I want you to listen. I want you to know God is making plans for Nehemiah to do great things. This is what he's doing. God provided, Nehemiah, the king provided him letters. He provided him the materials to rebuild the gates. He provided him a group of, hey, the king even sent an army with him to keep him safe as he traveled along. God provided the burden and he provided the provisions for him. He gets all the way over there, and I'm, again, I'm paraphrasing for time's sake. He gets all the way over there and he says, he's got a mount or he's got a horse and he's riding around. He's not letting anybody know what God is leading him to do. He goes up and he says, man, there's places in the wall that I can't even get through the gates that's in such disarray and it's, there's so much damage. He said, man, this place is a mess. He said, this is a greater burden than I thought. This is, this is a greater task than I was, thought I was going to be coming over here to do. I thought more of the wall was standing than this. I want you to know when God gives you a burden, sometimes the task is greater than your own ability. Because God says, if you will let me assist you along the way, I can make things go the way they need to go. So, so Nehemiah is over there. He begins to gather the people together for them to rebuild the wall. What do you think the first thing that begins to happen when he's doing exactly what God called him to do? What started happening? Opposition. Did God provide the opposition? I don't think so. Did God allow the opposition? Sure he did. These couple of guys, one of the first things they started doing, this is the first thing they started doing, they started criticizing him. They said, Nehemiah, I don't know what you're trying to do. There's no way you're going to be able to build this wall. He said, if you build this wall, a fox can come along and jump on that wall and knock this wall down. He said, there's no way this is going to happen. They started discouraging him verbally. Then the people, Nehemiah got the people and they started working together. Hey, are y'all in Nehemiah? Turn to Nehemiah. If you're not in Nehemiah, look at Nehemiah right quick. And I want to encourage you to go back and uh, after the service is over. I want you to look in chapter 3. And I think this is a picture of what we're supposed to be as a church. But in Nehemiah chapter 3, 29 times in the scripture right here, it says that this group or this family built next to this family and built next to this family and built next to this family. I want you to know the, the, the group of people, just like this group of people worked hand in hand, side by side to accomplish what God had called Nehemiah to accomplish. Oh my goodness, it was great. I love reading that. It says, next to this one, and next unto them repaired, and see there's so many names, the sons of Uriah, the son of Koz, next unto them repaired Meshach, the son of this other guy, and next to him repaired Zodok, and the son of Bana, next to him, and I mean, it just keeps going, it keeps going. Man, what a great example for us. Man, we need to, we need to put, our, put our issues aside. We need to work for the Lord. Because listen, I'm telling you the opposition outside is going to be there. We don't need any opposition inside. We don't need money grubbing and complaining and belly aching. We don't need it in here. We're going to get plenty out there. Not only did the ones around Jerusalem get upset because Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall and they 
verbally criticized him, they realized that he wasn't going to quit. So then they started sending letters to the king and said, Hey, you know this guy that you sent over here to rebuild the wall? He's undermining you. He's going to turn against you. They, they involved politically attacking him. When that didn't work, guess what else it had? In Nehemiah chapter... Oh, goodness. I'm talking about where he, he's laying the wall with one hand and holding the sword in the other one. Why ain't that in my scripture? Huh? Look what it says in 4.16. And it came to pass from time to time forth that half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both the spear and their shield and the bows and the harbingers and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. I don't understand here. God gave Nehemiah a job and an opportunity and a burden to go rescue his people. And as he's trying to do it, he's getting opposition on every side. Why don't he just quit? Why don't he just quit? Because he serves a mighty God. He serves a God that is committed to us. He's, a, he's serving a God that sent His Son to die on a cross so that we might have salvation. We don't deserve any of that. Nehemiah didn't deserve any of that. The Israelites didn't deserve any of that. But he refused to quit. He refused to give up. When he didn't feel like getting up in the morning, when he didn't feel like going to church that night, when he didn't feel like singing a special, when he didn't feel like studying for Sunday school, he did it anyway. Because he'd been given a burden from the Lord. Then we finish up in, in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. It says, So the wall was finished in the 25th day of the month Elah, and in 52 days. 52 days later, Nehemiah finished the wall. Nehemiah had plenty of time to stop running the race. Plenty of opportunity to stop running the race. Probably no one would have blamed him. But he refused to quit. He refused to quit. Now, I want to encourage every single one of us in here that knows the Lord as a personal Savior. If you're not closer to the Lord right now than you've ever been in your entire life, we need to recommit our lives. We need to rededicate our lives. We need to get back on track and get back in the race. Even when you're doing what God has called you to do, there's going to be opposition. I know it's about that time. I want to give you one more quick example. Luke chapter 8 and verse 22. Luke chapter 8 and verse 22. And I really have a whole sermon built around these scriptures right here. I just, I'm going to just really run through them right quick. Luke 8 and 22, it says this, Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with all of his disciples, and he said unto them, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep, and there came a storm and the wind on the lake. They were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him, the disciples, woke him and he said, Master, we perish. Then he arose and he rebuked the wind and he, the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, 
Where is your faith? And they being afraid wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obeyed him. And they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. This is what happened. Jesus says, Guys, get in the boat. We're going to the other side. The disciples were exactly where they were supposed to be. They were obedient to Jesus by getting in the boat. Let me make this loud and clear. Faith does not get you around trouble. It gets you through it. Faith does not get you around trouble. Nehemiah was doing exactly what God called him to do. The disciples were doing exactly what God called him to do. Don't stop running the race. My encouragement this year for 2018 at Soda Baptist Church, don't stop running the race. The most important thing that we can do in our lives is to live a life before the world that Jesus Christ is King, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Most important thing you can do in everything that you do. How would you like to start 2018? Rededicate your life? Join the church? Get started serving? Commit and do a better job this year than you've ever done before? Get saved? Be faithful? Whatever the need is, make 2018 your greatest year. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you again for this opportunity to brag on you. We serve an awesome God. And God, as we read through the examples in the Scripture, we realize that there is an enemy in this world, and our enemy has a desire to defeat us, to disrail this church, to disrail this ministry. But God, you say if we'll keep our faith pointed in your direction, God, if we'll stand fast on your word, that you will see us through. God, you never promised us that we wouldn't stumble and fall, but you said you'd always be there beside us all through the way. So God, this morning... As every single one of us begin to chase, face challenges, as soon as we walk out these back doors, my prayer is that we will stand with our feet solid on your foundation, your Son, Jesus Christ. As we sang this morning, Jesus is all I need. Help us to apply that this morning in our lives as we stand and enter into this invitation time. In Jesus' name, amen. You stand.